Cradaline Network. If this world is wearing thin, and you're thinking Borak, dog, earthlets. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox. This is the 253rd episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast of two Americans trying to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progress at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for February and March 1992. Progs. 772 to 775. This time. Oh, yeah. Dread goes after some cool dudes. We'll okay. get the band back together in skiz. Finn is hunting newts. And we'll learn more about the clown and tales from beyond science. Whoa, man. They sure do feel like future shocks with a very beautiful coat of paint. Mmm. And if you want to read along with us, you find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd, the Complete Case Files 16, The Complete Skiz, and the Judge Dredd Magazine, number 319 and 329. That one's for the lady. One of them is the Durham Red story, so, you know, who's to oh, say? Right. And this one's for the fellas. <laughs> I mean, and the ladies that appreciate ladies as well, you know. Amen. You know, girls, girls helping girls. Live it up. And speaking of boys helping boys, Fox, Thrill One, Judge Dredd. I've always thought that you and I would make a good assassin combo. <sighs> who drew, Who rides the bike and who sits in the back, Fox? That's what I want to know. <laughs> it did give me flashbacks to that, um, that twin dragon encounter movie that Red Letter Media uh, watched. <laughs> I would prefer a sidecar. That's all I'm trying to say. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. can I have the sidecar? Sure. Live it up. Script awesome. robot Garth Ennis, art robot Simon Colby and Gina Hart, and Cliff Robinson and Gina Hart. Letter robot, that Tom Frame. Hey, that's our guy. Yeah. So Ennis with Colby and Hart start us out as the Cool Brothers. <laughs> K-O-O-L-E, who are... Ex, who are uh, expert killers. They got their own sweet motorcycle, which they both ride on the seat of. <laughs> it's real cute. They're just really best friends. I think they're actual brothers, you know. But <laughs> that somehow makes it a little stranger. They take out a sports car by basically getting the guy, the, the guy driving a troll down his window and tossing a grenade in there. They're named Stan, Stan and Ollie, like the uh, like the first names of a Laurel and Hardy, the uh, you know the, the classic film comedy duo. Okay. Anyway, they're they're headed off a job well done, and Dredd is investigating this explosion. A witness saw the killers, but didn't notice much besides how cool they were, and that one of them had a Zio tattoo on their shoulder, which means they're from the Zeros gang. Man, I love this witness because he's a trucker, and his trucker hat says "truck in hell." <laughs> it's real good. He's got also a got a like cute little nose piercing, which I thought was a. A nice Latin yeah. flair. Pro trucking hat. Yeah, this guy's also actually, like, Simon Colby drawing a lot of cool dudes in the course of this story. Definitely. Heck yeah. Cool 1992 era dudes. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, you know, actually, I didn't even notice this. There's, like, everybody's got, like, hoops. Even the cool, lot cool of, brothers have hoop earrings. A lot of piercings, a lot of trench coats, things oh, like yeah. that. 
Um, Oof, trench coats. We, we see that Zero's tattoo on the Cool Brothers in their giant swanky apartment where they get a message for a new job, which is to kill the leader of the Zero's, Porker Falson, their old gang. Oh, man. They're, it's only going to cost you 60,000 big ones. Or you're yeah. going to make that much money. We're going to give you money. Yeah. The brothers think it over. Um, they talk about how they've, you know, quit their gang to pursue a life as professional hitmen and stuff. But and they, while they off. have some, yeah, no, they've been doing well. Um, and while they have a connection to their old buddy Porker, in the end, they got to embrace their new life, and that means they got to kill their old gang boss. <laughs> Good times. Yeah, we're gonna murder. They're really into it, man. They're they're stoked on this whole killing their old boss thing. They also do say good times a lot, which is like, feels like, uh, which is making me feel very seen, Fox, as everybody knows. <laughs> um, so, Dredd goes to investigate this crime, but he's not going straight to the zeros. Instead, he's going to play it cool. Oh, all right, um, buddy. <laughs> yeah. The cools take the job and load up as Dredd approaches the apartment of another ex-member of the Zeros. But that guy, Herb Flezer, sees Dredd coming and pulls a gun of his own. Yeah, you're not taking me alive, chin face. Yeah, shove your law, chin face. Dredd knocks on Fledger's door. Perps comes up shooting. And the two of them have a question and answer gunfight. You know, it's a lot of like... <laughs> I shoot guns and ask at each a question. Other. You shoot and ask a question. Yeah, you shoot back and answer it, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, Flezer identifies the Cool Brothers and says that they left the gang a year ago. And so Dredd's heard all he needs, so he switches to armor piercing and shoots a bullet right through the back of Flezer's head. Very Pretty graphic. graphic image here. Yeah. Yeah, just no, creating it explodes a out the back of his head. head. Definitely. So Dredd calls it in as the Cool's head down to see the Zero's boss. While they're having second thoughts about all this, but in the end they go through with it using the guise of old friendship to cut Falson's throat with like a switchblade. Yeah, man. <laughs> also adorned with so many piercings. And yeah, well, listen, you know, you gotta be cool. Uh, Dread learns that the brothers are living in the swanky Leo Johnson block. And this is from uh, the drug, uh, drug dealer character in the, on, on the show Twin, Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, fans of British of uh, British TV shows might think that it's named for Leo Johnson from Brookside, but that character was just a kid at this point, so not really a good person to name a swanky <laughs> city block after. No, gotta gotta name it after a real a hole. Yeah, the killers try to escape, but a, so the, the Cool Brothers try to escape, but a mysterious voice says it was all a setup. As Dredd gets some more information about the Cools and goes to investigate the Zeros, because that's the main lead. And he's as Dredd goes, he's just warns Control to get a meat wagon ready. <laughs> as you do, I guess. So, a bunch of gang dudes led by, again, another cool dude named Slash. <laughs> With a Nine Inch Nails cut-off midriff exposed t-shirt. I mean, that really, trench- it's just a bra. <laughs> that trench coat? Those pouches strapped around his leg, that nine inch nails belly shirt, Fox. <laughs> oh, he's got, Woo! he's also got uh, a skull cod piece. 1992. Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> I mean, this is um, all it. 
like with the Muzak killer, I love that this guy's wearing a t-shirt that's basically, it's like if you were wearing like a Mozart t-shirt and trying to be real cool, Fox. You I know, mean. Just, just in terms of wearing a shirt of a band from 200 years ago. Oh, for or sure. From 125 years ago or whatever. Strong, Maybe strong not Mozart, on the Mozart, but you know what I mean. Comparison, though. Nine Inch Nails is dope. Sure. I'm just saying that like, I don't know. It's a... It's a. It's just funny the idea that a street. Um, <laughs> we're trying to make just, this guy. Be he just cool. has this cutoff thing. Just says Mozart. <laughs> yeah, but it's like he's wearing a T-shirt from a band that was popular 125 years ago. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Like, because at this point, it's like what? Like the band from that guy that won all those Oscars from for doing movie scores. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess you know. I do just want a shirt that just plainly just says Mozart in block letters. I'm sure they exist. I'm sure there's ones. <laughs> I, as I recall, from there's there's ones where they do them in like the Metallica font or something like that. You know, so it's like whatever. Anyway, Fox, I'm sorry for my <laughs> diversion. No, this is good. Slash says that since the cool is left, the zeros have really gone downhill. They need that cool magic. Meanwhile, Dredd's rolling up on the zeros turf. And the zeros basically say, like, hey, guys, like, why don't you, you know, quit your job as being cool professional assassins and come like back and be. successful assassins. Yeah, be the head of some random street gang. It'll be great. Also, um, we don't have your money. Also, yeah, also, we said we were going to give you 60000 for killing the old gang boss, but we thought instead of doing that, maybe we just offer you leadership and that'd be like payment in kind. But no, um, <laughs> the cools are not into it and they, you know, they blow a hole right through Slash's sweet abs. Oh, no. Oh, man. Yeah, it's just a target at that point. Got to cover up. Got to just you know they just need to destroy something beautiful. They're um, it's true. They, as they try to drive off, their bike explodes, and um, as Dread arrives on the scene, he destroys their bike, takes out a bunch of uh, of uh, zeros and stuff. Um, eventually, they sort of get to a place like a little bit out of the way as they see Dread just taken out like twenty dudes, basically. <laughs> I mean, they just did not have a chance. Everyone is yeah. dying, and so. <laughs> Dread finally takes the gang out, approaches the cools, and the cools take off their sweet sunglasses, clasp hands, and once more talk about good times, and then go out in a blaze of glory, and are clearly oh, then just gunned down by Judge Dread here. He only shot twice. The good times were over. Aww. I no guess. <laughs> I mean, listen... They were high-profile assassins, so I guess, you know, there's that. But, you know, how this is brotherly love, man. And and old old Stoneshin has just taken out this beautiful uh, pair of brothers that I'm trying to defend without any reason. Why am I talking about it? It feels like... Uh, hold on, because I, um, I, I, I just see when uh, freaking uh, Reservoir Dogs came out, Fox. That's what I'm thinking. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Because, oh, uh, yeah, it is. Well, I mean, I don't know. Probably not out yet. But I mean, because it, it is in 92, but probably later in the year. But all this stuff feels like it's a combination of the cool hitman stuff of the early 90s. Like, yeah. that, I feel like that was, I remember that being such a big thing. Um, and, but then combined with also early 90s, like, cool comic book a a a aesthetic, you know, mm -hmm. where it's, 
earrings and pouches and trench coats and that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, bearing t-shirts. Listen, <clears throat> I'm just saying that like I don't always like there, there's been times where I haven't been clear on like what the on cultural things popping into Judge Dredd, but here, ooh, I really see it. You know, this is Ennis and Colby trying to be cool. So uh, we're starting a uh, a rare full story by Cliff Robinson. He usually does covers and stuff. Um, after about a hundred hours on duty, Dredd pulls into the Rowdy Yates block to get some rest, where he's stopped by an old man with a robot eye patch. He's Bert Dubinsky, the first guy Dredd ever arrested. Ooh, time for a flashback. That's right, yeah. Dredd thinks back, remembering he was 18, going out on the streets, partnered with Judge Morphy. Hell yeah. The two of, yeah, they went out on patrol, soon finding a young Dubinsky on the street after killing a man, sort of flashing his gun everywhere. The two judges move in on him, Dredd catching Dubinsky from behind and putting his gun to the back of his head. And Dubinsky surrendered so that two minutes into his first patrol, Dredd made, made an arrest. He's sort of still like, ready to keep going, too, man. Yeah, definitely. It's a sort of a good sign. This kid might just have it. <laughs> um, and that was 30 years or 35 years ago. And Dubinsky's just gotten out of the cubes. Hey, just wanted to see how you were doing, Judge. Uh, Hey, you're doing all right. Uh, you've yeah. been a superstar, man. It's so cool. Yeah, it seems like he's feels some connection to Dread for having been arrested by him, and has been man. following his career ever since through um, the cursed from the cursed Earth to Necropolis and on. God, yeah, and man, if there's one thing I know, it's just not talking to him is a is a good thing to do. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, this this d- story does seem good for sort of in this month where we're talking about um, 2000 AD's 15th anniversary or whatever, you know, just that kind of like flashback stuff. Yeah. But yeah, Dredd isn't interested in a reunion and that sets Dubinsky off. He pulls a gun and shoots Dredd's lawmaster. But Dredd's already ducked out of the way and once more gets the drop on him. He gives Dubinsky the same choice, go to the cubes or get shot. But this time, Bert decides to make a move and gets the top of his head blown off. Again, pretty graphic here. It is from the bottom of his cheek to the entirety of the top of his head with all of this gray matter just oozing out. It's really gross. Absolutely. Dredd calls it in, calling him Burke Dubinsky instead of Bert. It says, maybe if he killed him back then, I would have saved a ton of time. Oh, God. What a fucking horrible way. Seriously. <laughs> it's really horrible. Yeah, seriously. Getting a lot more. Listen, I feel like we're getting to a period of dread, and this might be Garth Ennis here, where, you know, dread's much more willing to just freaking kill these dudes instead of take them alive, has been a previous stance. God, it's not even like a mercy or anything. It's just like, I don't have time for this shit. And it, I don't like, care. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. It's like a kid wrote him a note that made him have have feelings, and now he's just like, bah, murked him. He's over that shit. He doesn't care anymore. Yeah, the, the fucking election is over and done with. Now I'm just going to kill people. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. So next time on Dread, Mega City Babes. Oh, okay. Which I think is a re- is at least is at least nodding at a story currently in the uh, in the magazine right now, which is Britsit Babes. Just okay. FYI, got these it's not ladies. About babies, is it? No, 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 no. It's about uh, it's about chicks who will kill you. So be careful, awesome. Fox. Don't do them wrong. Love a Black Widow. 
Yeah, it's something. I mean, I don't know. It's a whole thing. We'll get in. Obviously, we'll get into it next week. <laughs> but hey, speaking of getting into it, Fox. Oh yeah. Speaking of uh, of a of a character's about to enter a female cycle, let's talk about oh. Thrill Two Skis. Oh man, there's so many things here that just uh, yeah, well, go wrong a lot. <laughs> sure. Uh, Script robot Jim Bakey, art robot Jim Bakey, lettering robot Tom Frame. Last time on Skiz, we saw some cops pick up Roxy from her job at the zoo, and now she's being taken by a police ambulance to meet with with someone called Miss Heath. Which, uh, already she's not a huge fan of. Yeah, it seems like last time this happened, Roxy got really sick or something. Um, and that previous encounters have involved needles and stuff like that. Yeah. This time, Roxy is brought to a room where Skiz is waiting for her. Oh, man. Or at this, least... this was such a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. It's, but it's actually his empty spacesuit seemingly designed just to stand up in place for the sole purpose of freaking her out. Yeah, it doesn't. It's like it's not resolved in any sort of way. And the armor doesn't come back for no, the I obvious thought... thing that I thought it would. Yeah, me too, actually. I, I, I had a whole scheme cooked up around this spacesuit that did not come to pass. Um, it's just Yeah, it just really does seem to be like, hey, look at this, huh? Does that, does that give you some PTSD? Just red, yeah, just a red herring, I guess. Yeah. Um, our new Australian friend, Bazzer, seems to be in charge or something here, I guess. He goes to talk to Roxy and tells Miss Heath to get some tea. He introduces himself, and Roxy recognizes him as the bass player for the band Red Rock. Oh, well, that'd be the first time. Yeah, oh. He says he went... Oh, he went to work at an observatory in Tasmania and then kind of disappeared, got kicked out of the band. But before he explains more, he brings her into a room with a sleeping Cornelius. Yay! And once Cornelius notices her, they embrace and all seems well. Good times. It's super sweet. Yeah, except on Garp, where Skiz has learned that a snuffer ship is on its way to destroy Earth. (laughs) And has a real what-the-hell moment. Yeah, humans have learned too much about Satan technology and will obviously use it for shitty human purposes, war and killing and so forth. You know, you you know us, Fox. No, oh, yeah. Um, I mean, we, we would definitely somehow turn that pill into something that would shoot somebody to death. Yeah. Skiz tries to talk the robots out of it, um, but it's no use. Humanity is doomed. <laughs> <laughs> These Roxy robots Cor- are real nihilists, man. Definitely. Roxy and Cornelius are catching up. It seems that their memories were messed with by the government. Mm. When um, Saxton, that government guy, comes in and asks if they know anything about the... Oh, no, this is a a different government guy, excuse me. Comes in and asks if they know anything about the sun being snuffed out. That's quite disturbing. (laughs) Yeah, he was one of the the scientists that were fucking around with the machine that eventually made it so that our sun would explode. Yeah. Roxy and Cornelius ask if Laws is about, and it seems he is, but he's currently hiding out on the roof of a nearby prison. Really not great. Make me sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Skiz feels like he should be happy because his child will soon be born, and he says he'll soon enter a, a female stage, I guess Jurassic Park style. Um, but he's too worried about Earth. Well, I guess Jurassic Park, they became male, but, you know, changing genders for child Yeah, no, I, I, like the, I like the concept that they can switch genders fluidly. Yeah. 
Unwilling to let his friends die, Skiz rushes to the ship's control console and prepares to share the chaos program with the central matrix, but his robot guards pull laser pistols to stop him. Beep boop, nah dog, you ain't doing that. <laughs> Back off. <laughs> <laughs> we'll point guns at you. <laughs> so... The robots tell him not to. Skiz tells them to get knotted Finn style, I guess. Oh, okay. Um, and the robots, actually, that might be a grosser wave. I don't know. The robots open fire. Meanwhile, Laws is sitting on the roof of prison, refusing to listen to anything. He's been up there for three days. They aren't sure what to do. To what, what to do? He won't even respond when Roxy asks him to come down. Roxy asks why Laws is in prison, but doesn't get a straight answer. Maybe to keep him quiet, I guess. Yeah, that's some bullshit. Suddenly, there's a lot of unresolved things about sort of the details of what happened oh, yeah. to kind of hush up the skiz stuff. Big time. Um, suddenly, Cornelius is on the roof offering Laws a sandwich. Yum. And thank God, because he was thinking about what boiled pigeon was about to taste like a raw pigeon. Yeah. The two men are happy to reunite and Laws is indeed super hungry. Meanwhile, Skiz is saved as after he dodged their initial shots, both robots unable to allow a Satan to be hurt have then their second shot was to kill each other, basically. Yeah, I can't go trying to end life, other robot. Yeah, back off. <laughs> Skiz plans to rush to Earth to stop the snuffer as the lads aboard the as we see the lads aboard the snuffer ship pretty stoked to actually do some dang snuffing. Yeah, man. I mean they were <laughs> I guess if you're the captain and the crew of a snuffer ship, you want to get snuffing. Yeah, you know, you got these things. It'd be a, it'd be a shame not to use the tools a little bit, you know? Yeah, exactly. Back at the prison, Laws and Cornelius are back on the ground and reunited with Roxy. If Laws can't talk to the press like he wanted, he wants a shower, a shave, and to talk to the boss around here. <laughs> God, I love him. <laughs> Back on the ice planet, Skiz learns that the ship has no fuel and is stuck there. He came in radio for help as the radio was accidentally shot by the robot's guns. He can't do anything. All is lost. Oh, jeez. What's going to happen next? Oh, man. So sad. Um, It seems like we, we, we learned the events of Skiz 1 were written off as being practical effects for a movie of some kind. Okay. And... They even did, they actually did some actual effects on them to make the film they were in look really cheap, basically. Okay. <laughs> um, anyway, back to business. The government types have Bazzer try out the overbox again, as Roxy mentioned. And when Roxy mentions Skiz, as he does, the cylinder springs to life, and we see uh, uh, Skiz himself working on the ship. Um, but things seem pointless until the computer tells him a Pan Lux clipper is approaching. Oh, hey, great, I think. Yeah. Skiz wonders if he can use that ship to send a message to stop the snuffer ship, but it seems unlikely as the snuffer indeed is in range of sun of the sun. Suddenly a holographic conversion or yeah, conversation starts and Skiz can talk to his human friends once more. Dope. Yeah. Both Skiz and the Overbox exchange apologies for what all is happening here. Skiz has a plan, but it'll take 24 hours to work. So just, you know, I'll be back then. Chill out. Yeah. Um, Bazzer consoles Roxy as he reflects that uh, that uh, Skiz really does look like a kangaroo. And Roxy <laughs> mentions the real kangaroo she works with at the zoo. And Bazzer has a plan. 
Mm. Cornelius Laws and uh, Saxon, the government guy, ride out as Bazer tries again to talk to the Overbox. And the box seems to come alive for real now, takes over a TV and says it's figured out their plan as well. And has so, and asked to be taken to the roof to direct some satellite dishes. Which, I mean, sentient pill-shaped robot that, I don't know, this is like, yeah, this is like a doomsday thing for me. It's like a super AI, man. Don't, don't cook that thing <laughs> yeah. into your dishes. Definitely. Also, it, it feels very similar to the mother box from DC Comics, I guess, which mm. is sort of another sort of AI box that tells people to do things, if that makes sense. <laughs> But yeah, no, they're setting up Skynet here. It's no good. You got to be careful. Mm. Back on planet Garp, Skiz sees this luxury clipper um, land, but it's not here for him. It's just some princeling and his mates who are going surfing on the frozen ocean of Earth with heater surfboards. Wow, not a good idea. Those goobers are going to explode. Yeah, Skiz laments the flippancy of the rich as the melter boards melt the ice to go to give some let let them move quickly, but also of course releases that those volatile gases that we talked about earlier in the story, which causes them to all explode. <laughs> Take that, the rich. There, yeah, they're dead, but hey, that means that their spaceship is up for grabs. Uh, Skiz, <laughs> glad that got resolved climb- quickly. Yeah, Skiz climbs aboard, and hey, it seems like actually, coincidentally enough, their next stop was to go see the sun get snuffed. So it's easy for Skiz to just press a button and head out. I'm coming, Roxy! All right. (laughs) Roxy and Bazzer adjust a satellite dish as the Overbox gets worried about the timing of things. Meanwhile, the lads have to change the tire on their van. Oh no, they're running late. At the same oh, time, man. Skiz is going at an extreme level of hyperspace, going into jaywalker mode. But even with that, they won't get to Earth before the snuffer snuffs. He hollow projects the human saying, I guess that's what it's called. I don't know. Um, he hollow projects the human saying that his plan has failed. But don't worry, Skiz, they have a plan. <laughs> we got this kangaroo, bud. Yeah. It involves Skiz the kangaroo, which the lads grabbed from that zoo. Good times. Um, yeah, Skids messages the snuffer, and it, this is the plan, I guess, saying that the Earth is home to a race of proto-Satans, and thus is pro- protected by the laws of the Empire, and thus the snuff is canceled. <laughs> hey, good times. We did yeah. it. I mean, it because we were, I, I feel like we had just spoken about, like, with giving birth and I had made an allusion to kangaroos in this case, not mm-hmm. really thinking that a kangaroo would actually come up in this. <laughs> but well, I, guess- I thought because they, sh- they showed us the armor, they were going to put yeah. skiz the kangaroo in the skiz like spacesuit and be like, and- yo bro, we've got one of your people here. You can't go snuffing our son. Yeah, as opposed to some sort of, like, I don't know, back-end, like, advertisement for the theory of evolution, I guess. Or <laughs> evolution evolution slash ancient aliens, Fox, which is, a, which is a rare balancing act, actually. Oh, my God. Like, that's right. Yeah, we seeded the stars with uh, primitive versions of our, of our race in the hopes that they'll evolve in case something happens to us. You know, I don't yeah. know. Hooray kangaroos. They're the real masters. Hammer of the gods. Uh, (laughs) 
Anyway, uh, everybody starts to celebrate, but then Laws realizes that the government guy, Saxon, disappeared. Laws rushes to the roof where he sees Saxon and Saxon pulls a gun, but Cornelius grabs him. Yeah, um, I mean, and is about to throw him off the roof. Yeah, well, you know, Cornelius, fine with throwing government types off of roofs. No, I yeah, I mean, they, they deserve it, buddy. He's got his pride. Yeah. It seems exactly these guys have a uh, our heroes have a larger plan as cameras prepare to broadcast worldwide. Guards show up, though, and shoot the cameras. But it's too late because I guess those were also a red herring as the dish on the roof begins to trans <laughs> transmit and Skiz suddenly appears on a billion TV screens and is like, what's up, alien? What's up, humans? You are not alone. Oh, God. I, I love the satellite forever. dishes all, like, shoot light up into the sky, <laughs> by the way. That's how you That's know how they're works. working. Yeah, of course. Listen, I don't want to... If your satellite dish doesn't shoot stuff into the sky, how do you know it works, Fox? It could be doing anything. <laughs> Just sitting there for all you know. Exactly. Lazy satellite dishes. <laughs> they never, never work. Um, 48 hours later, Skiz lands in London just long enough to say hello to his human friends, old and new, and to meet that dang kangaroo. But now he's got to go home to have a baby and will soon return for 50 million tons of low-fat yogurt so that all his people can have kids, can have babies again easily as well. Man. The the end of Skiz part two. Uh, 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 really kind of rushed it it's fast yeah yeah and and like a lot of just not like explaining anything that happened to the core characters other than like skiz we get a good kind of idea of but i feel like that back and forth like jumping between the two every other page it felt like a little i don't know it didn't give itself room to breathe half the time and i mean roxy for getting stuff or getting sick every time she thought about skiz and then she doesn't get sick when she does see skiz it's like well what's the whole angle on telling us that she was ill yeah and then all the stuff like with with laws being in prison or something it's not clear how he got that roof in the first place and stuff um and then like it seems like somehow Bazer like became someone that they people took orders from for a while or something like that. Yeah, I, uh, and like his character just showing up, it's like, well, why not just have Laws traveling with? I don't know. It was just yeah, yeah. Why do all, we have this new character and all this stuff? It's all odd. I mean, I, I guess I'm assuming that there's an, uh, another Skiz. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've, but it won't be for a little explained. while, actually. Um, Skiz 3 will return in November of 1994, so maybe t- so like more than two and a half uh, years Jesus. from now. Okay, so nothing's going to really get fleshed out, I feel like. I mean, they're, they're going to do some stuff, and like that story, I, re- I don't remember that story super well, it, um, but I remember being weird and having some time travel elements as well. <laughs> okay. Um, well. But yeah, I don't know. It's weird that this story is so short, I guess. Yeah. Because... I feel like, I mean, while I'd say Skiz is definitely like, I, you know, I know you and me like it a lot, but I, I would say it's definitely like the, like the, uh, like the C tier of, um, or like, like the third tier of, of the Alan Moore stuff that's out there, you know? Sure. Yeah. In, in 2000 AD with like Halo Jones and DR and Quinch being ahead of it, you know? Mm. Um, but like, 
you know, it seems like it's got some bit of a pedigree and to just sort of do it in nine and then be out of here. It just doesn't seem like it's enough space for these kinds yeah. for this kind of story, you know? Well, and I mean, it was an awesome story and this just feel, feels like a wet fart. Yeah. I'm kind of, it, it it's, sort it's of bums me out because it's, yeah. yeah, no, it just, it bummed me out because it was I, like, I read through it and I was just like, oh, it's over. What? <laughs> like, yeah, all of the tension dissolved in like a few pages. You know what I mean? Definitely. Yeah. Well, and because because it's flashing back and forth so much, like you said, it does actually I think it does do a really good job of creating tension of like what's going to happen next. Like, oh, like I'm stressed out because things seem so insurmountable and stuff. Yeah. But then it finally gets there. And like, you know, they don't even put that kangaroo in the suit. box. They just sort of (laughs) say like, hey, there's a kangaroo. Yeah. Like, look at that. Huh? How about that, aliens? It's just like fucking... They could have sent, sent them a nature documentary. They didn't need to drive out. They could have sent, like, gotten a world book, and, like, like, like an encyclopedia Britannica, and done that. <laughs> yeah, no. It, it, yeah, any video could have been sent over that. I, uh, it's so odd. I, I just... Yeah. I, I'm not a big fan of the way it ended, I guess. That's fair. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of um, things that you've looked forward to ending, Fox. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Let's go to Thrill 3, Brigand Doom. Yeah, this happened. <laughs> Script robot Alan McKenzie, art robot Dave DeAntiki, letter robot Annie Parkhouse. So, Inspector 9 and a few troopers here in this uh, uh, weird, strange world of Brigand Doom have been taken hostage by the zombies of the evil Dr. Legba, Brigand Doom among them. But Nine isn't worried, honestly, because, you know, zombies are still a pretty low-level monster. So she pulls out a submachine gun and gets shooting, as right. do her men. I mean, you Leg- know, putting bullets all in the inside of them, but they zombies, guys. Yeah, Legba gets shot in the arm, but the zombies soon swarm the humans because these seem like special ones and shoot them in the head isn't putting them down the way you'd think it would, you know? No, oh, man, it's magic zombies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Voodoo zombies are tougher, I guess. <laughs> um, Nine mixes gunfire with decapitating high kicks, which do seem to work. She calls the zombies meatballs. Um, soon the fight is over, though, and they've been beaten. Nine has been secured by the zombies, and Legba makes her the big offer. At the cost of your will, I could keep you beautiful forever. Yeah, but then, like, how would she enjoy it, you know? Mm, yeah, I guess it's one of those things where just the concept that you are living forever, even if you aren't aware of it, is enough, maybe? But Okay. <laughs> She's also skeptical of the offer. That's why she says, suck boot, and kicks him a couple times. (laughs) (laughs) So Legba tells Doom to prepare her for the ritual. Prepare her for the ritual. Nine then calls the zombies pizzas. And when Doom approaches, she pulls out one of those dang brigand Doom gas vials. Oh, man. Yeah, boy. Time to huff some gas. Yeah, finally. It plinks open, and Brigand Doom is back! Um, complete with distinctive black word bubbles and all that stuff. He calls yep. Legba a tool for his return from hell. I was never under your control. I was faking it the whole time. Yeah, just needed a little gas to get me going, you know, baby? <laughs> just like me. Uh, Legba... <laughs> 
calls for his undead guards to kill Doom, and the two of them fight, but Doom's soon victorious. He approaches Legba, mean- taking out more zombies. He does one of those three Stooges moves where he smashes some heads <laughs> together and stuff. Pretty <laughs> solid. And he finally um, makes it to Legba, picks him up, and throws him out a window. Hell yeah. Eat sky, dirtbag. <laughs> yeah. Doom has killed the prophet in cold blood. He pulls out a standard, we aren't so different, you and I, with Nine, and disappears into the night. Okay. Nine considers how she'll explain all this to her superiors, but instead just decides to take all the credit. More good times. (laughs) (laughs) The end of Brigand Doom, Voodoo Child. Uh, I mean, just saying that he wasn't under his control the whole time, I, like... (laughs) (laughs) That's, I don't know, man. It's fine, I guess. This just seems like a lot to bring this character back, Fox, if you ask me. (laughs) Right? Why can't the guests just make him a superhuman? He's regenerating or something. I guess it's like it's also psychic gas that he huffs to have a connection with whoever also huffs gas. I I don't know, man. I, 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 I gotta say one thing, Fox, and it's this. So, so, um, we'll see Brigand Doom again in the sci-fi special and the 2080 yearbook this year. And I'll be back in the Prague in December. And I want to know what the hell is up with this gas. All right. I want specific, like, here's where I got it. Here's what it does. All that shit about that, about this gas in the next Brigand Doom. And if not, then time is up. All right. (laughs) (laughs) You had a strong opening. Your middle movie has so far been pretty lukewarm. I want to know about this gas. Want to know about that sweet tricorner hat? Look, like, really, I just want him to just start taking down and dismantling the government, man. BV for vendetta already yeah. at like the pretender that you are, because that was pretty well, rad. Go, yeah, go back to that. But right now, like, I got my arms folded and I'm tapping my foot. All right, because <laughs> this is this is this thrill is on notice, Fox. All right. Yeah, I, I just it's. Why? Yeah, I think you put it best, which is just like, it seems like an awful lot to bring him back from the dead. We need voodoo. Like, there's voodoo and there's hell added into what seemed like a perfectly nice sort of cyberpunky sci-fi dystopia. Yeah. Like, you know, Dread's fine having magic, but most other things, I feel like you got to pick a lane. All right. <laughs> pick a lane. I, well, I mean, Dread just because it's the nonchalance with which he deals with the occult uh, is the same amount that he deals with like aliens, you know? Listen, s- mystic, listen, Avenger of a cyberpunk dystopia or zombies, Fox, one or, <laughs> one or the other. Right? Oh, I don't hey, know. I'm just saying I'm doing that move where... I point my eyes with two fingers and then I point at Brigand Doom. That's my move right now with this thrill, all right? Jeez, oh, Pete's man. I mean, I. <laughs> all right. Yeah, no, it's on notice, officially. Space Spinner notice. <laughs> notice. Thank you for, thank you for joining me on yeah. this notice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man, solidarity. <laughs> so that takes us to non thrills, covers, and nerve setters, which are always yeah. on notice. <laughs> Uh, Prog 772 from Tharg to all Earthlets we celebrate 15 years of thrill power on this gift wrapped cover 
And I like this gift wrapping. It's got pictures of of uh, Dread, Death, Anderson, Zenith, Friday, Sam Slade, Tharg, and Dadamoto. Mm. I like uh, the way that you know that it's Anderson is because she's got both of her fingers pointing at her temples as she closes her eyes yeah. and does a psychic. Using her, doing a psychic, absolutely. But, and in kind of a weird thing, the nerve center this week is actually... Um, the nerve center from 2000 AD Sirius edition, which has just been Prague one, apparently just came out in Sirius in late February 1992. Huh. Um, and that me, and it seems like they're just recycling all the launch 2000 AD texts and thrills and stuff like that. All right. So, cause, so basically, the nerve center is just a is is a re, is essentially a reprint of the uh, introductory stuff from the first uh, uh, from Prague one. And the only really new stuff is a section that buries a bunch of thrills like Ant Wars, Shaco, Mean Arena, Re- Return to Armageddon, and others. Like, ah, uh, we think you'll enjoy these, but Earthlets instead seem to enjoy things like Halo Jones and the Horn God. Ooh. Yeah. This is why I always assumed everybody, like, the editorials are why I assumed everybody hated Shaco and loved Bradley when this podcast started, basically. <laughs> Oh, God, Bradley. People do hate Shacko, for the record, but, what? you know, whatever. Okay, well, they shoot a rocket launcher at a bear. Well, listen, this isn't something you're going to know for a very long time, Fox, but in the year 2020, Shacko got a little overexposed. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, to be continued on that one, I guess. Oh, okay. Um, in the input page, it's a picture of a Fusion 44 Trooper, which I'm going to assume is stolen from a Rift source book for a, ju- a juicer character. Fox, it's got that look. Um, letters diss the Isle of Wight, compliment the best of 2000 AD, dislike the, this Robin Reliant slander, um, and call Tharg various words for friends, and ask about rumors of a Rogue Trooper movie, Fox. Okay, well, that didn't a- happen. Apparently, it will be directed by Thunderpants auteur Peter Hewitt. But oh, no, it didn't awesome. Happen. He also did Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, but I like mentioning that he directed Thunderpants. It's kind Thunderpants of it's funny times. as hell. The prog ends with an ad for the first issue of Red Dwarf magazine. It's not for Smegheads, but I would okay. like to check it out. If anybody has, has copies, send them to me. I would love to see it. Big Red Dwarf <laughs> fan. Prog 773, Lights Out. They've set controls for the heart of the sun. The sniffer approaches as Skiz freaks out in a Jim Bakey cover. So many, so many freaked out Skizzes on these covers <laughs> for Skiz too. Like John Ridgway, Jim Bakey draws a pretty good terrified alien. You know? <laughs> <laughs> My God, what did I do? Yeah, those are U's with dots over them. Thank you. In the Nerve Center, Tharg apologizes for the Nerve Center mix-up last issue, as does Igroid. Apparently, a good time was had by all at that anniversary dance party. And there's a nice picture of the Strontium Dog Boys from this month's Best of 2000 AD here. Hell yeah. Wolf. You know, Johnny Wolf, Middenface. Looking awesome. Yeah, Love the, the old input- team. Well, they're they're good go- they're, they're good guys for sure. The input page is a picture of heavy metal judge of heavy metal jo- John uh, Major. A letter is celebrating their reading their first 2000 AD. A student wants 2000 AD listed in the modern lit sy- syllabus. Oh, uh, another letter disses trash and a- uh, uh, well another asks yeah. for money to buy a 2000 AD cap. There's compliments for judgment on Gotham. 
and that a copy of 2000 AD showed up in a New Zealand film called Piano Lessons. Okay. Yeah, the prog ends with a full-page preview of the clown, complete with giant guns on his hip. He's not fooling around anymore, which is the yeah. catchphrase for that. Freaking me out, more like it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Prog 774, Robert Bliss draws a pretty terrifying cover for the clown. Oh, jeez. Uh, uh. <laughs> In the nerve center, Tharg announces the clown and Tales from Beyond Science and teases the set prog 780 Merga Blast. <laughs> got a, got a jowl wiggle out of that one. That's right. Igroyd talks up the two debuting artists for these thrills, Robert Bliss and Ryan Hughes. Midprog, there's an ad... Uh, for uh, mail order 2000 AD back issues, the Glasgow 92 comic convention, um, a ad for building muscles fast, the classic uh, comics ad, and also a coupon for comic book shops to place their own ads in 2000 AD for 10% off. A 65 by 100 millimeter ad is 160 pounds for one issue, 110 for 10 issues. Okay. The input page is a very pointy judge freak and Bart. The horned god, a very Simpsons-y slain. Yeah, there we go. Had to, had to get him in there. Yeah. Letters harken back to the 18th century. Get Tharg to talk to a boy... Uh, have Tharg talk to a boy they like. Compliment the uh, new Complete Dread comics. And it seems that uh, a character named Tharg was mentioned in a sci-fi book from the year 1948. I, th- I, think, I think we've heard that one before. Hmm. It, it was one of these rule of three jokes where it's like, he'll be like the greatest generals, <laughs> like, you know, Sun Tzu, George Washington, Thog, that kind yeah, of thing. That gotcha. The issue ends with an ad for a new uh, Rogue Trooper Friday story. And okay. we see in the, Ron, in the art that he's gained a Rogue Trooper style glove gun. This one's drawn, the pinup's drawn by Oliver Frey. There'll be Ron Smith in the actual comic. And that's going to be coming as part of the Prog 78 Mega Blast. <laughs> Love it. Uh, set Prog 775, Dread's first bust, a white helmet Dread draws down, drawn by Cliff Robinson. Awesome. In the Nerve Center, Thug talks about a mix-up with the Tales from Beyond Science story. As It's as mysterious as the thrill itself. Ooh. Meanwhile, Igroid starts talking up the Mega Blast <laughs> in Prog 78 and 780 with all new thrills, including, including Ian Gibson on Dread, the return of Rogue Trooper and the ABC Warriors, and goddamn Button Man! Button Man! <laughs> He's gonna... You might be buttoned up, but he'll uh, unbutton you. Hate you so much. <laughs> Midprog is a big ad for a special for a collection of Thunderbirds comics. Thunderbirds are go. And in the input page, there's a picture of Judge Gremlin, like yeah. the new batch style. Letters discuss a thrill sucker infestation at Newcastle College. Another writer admits to a shame to shameful thoughts of Anderson, Durham Red, and High Priestess Mandy. And a writer's mum thinks the comic is too violent, and the mub writes in as well. Wow. And finally, there's a request for a 2000 AD a fan club. Hell yeah. Do it. Yeah, why not? I guess when they talk about fan club, that's like a. I feel like that's like a, an official thing. Yeah, that like, like it, it's like a mailing list almost, right? Yeah, and they'd like you know send you a little deal 
And then you like maybe give them money or your name is sold to direct advertisers. One of those two things. I mean, it's both. And the prog ends with an all shot up and destroyed Hammerstein. Will the warriors fight again? No worries. And they too will be part of the Prague 780 Murra Blast. ABC, Can't wait for the uh, <laughs> the next strange occult thing that they have to shoot and do for uh, Deadlock, I guess. That's exactly what's going to be happening. That's right. But this time there's going to be Space Marines, and I'm very excited about it. Ooh, I like Space Marines. Yeah, they're okay. Persian heretics. And hey, speaking of, uh, hey, speaking of Pat Mills Fox and his uh, uh, weird occult uh, stylings. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about 304 Finn. He's all twisted up and electroscuted. That's right. Script robot Pat Mills and Tony Skinner. Art robot Jim Elston and Jim Elston and Kevin Wicks. Lettering robot Steve Potter. Man, it's so really, it's so gross when you can see somebody's intestines. I, it's like my least yeah. favorite thing to see. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Finn's getting his ass kicked by these shining one guys. It seems to be these psychic, empo- psychically empowered tools of the newts. They're using their powers to x-ray him and lay his guts bare like a common visible man from back in the early days of 2000 AD. Oh, <laughs> forget they, about visible man. Yeah. He ate cake and drank the shit out of some champagne. That's right. Exiled himself from humanity. (laughs) Um, They torture him physically and demand he tell them about his terrorist network, but Finn refuses, so they prepare to kill him. Luckily, Finn's made of stern stuff and sneakily uses his spiral vine magic item, which is occupying his waist slot here, to (laughs) snare the two shining ones together, shouting, get nodded as he does, which causes them to explode like Ron Silver in Time Cop. Oh, no. <laughs> I they It is such an odd thing to me because it's just, it's explained as like they can't touch when they're doing their magical lightning powers. And so that's what he does. I'm like, why, why would you, why would your magical lightning powers have you explode if you guys touch each other? But, uh, you know, ah, whatever. They got Time Copped. Oh, no. <laughs> Um, Finn escapes, heads back to his cab where he finds a lady. Ooh, and I guess this is a saucy kind of lady. I'm not sure what she's like. She seems kind of dressed like a like a like a sexy secretary to me. But he says she's straight off Union Street, and I'm not sure what that means. Um, but it turns out that it's Mandy, his high priestess, who's been use who's using this body for a few days. Oh, interesting. Finn himself wants to use the body as well, but gets slapped for his troubles. Bad pig. Mm. They drive to a place called St. Michael's Mount, which is apparently the site of the last stand of a great revolt against the Newts. This is placed in like a Cornwall, I guess. Devon slash Cornwall. It's like a, uh, it's an island with a natural causeway. So like you could walk to it during low tide, but during high tide, it's cut off from the land. Um, anyway, while they're there, they have a vision of the battle. They see it. They see sights of like, of the ancient fight, including Cormelian, an eight foot tall buff lady riding into battle with little more than metal pasties. Yeah, it's, uh, not the best of battle gear. I mean, you know, when you got magic and you aren't quite human, I guess you do other stuff. 
Um, you like have a have chains just wrapping around your body. Yeah, it's cool. They also get a vision of a newt itself, which looks like a giant sea monster with full of tentacles and a big eye with a giant stone coming out of its head that can warp and raft reality. Then that's called a tabula rasa. And so okay. that's what Finn's mission is, is to get that big rock from this guy's from one of these guys' heads. Take out that rock. Mm. So it seems this battle that we that we saw that we were seeing the after effects of ended in a tabula rasa, causing a massive nuclear bomb-like explosion, which just in turn destroyed the kingdom of Lioness, or Leone, I guess. And then they shot a spike out of a tower. I should say that that a Lioness is uh, sort of the English version of Atlantis, basically. And then, yeah, Cormelian was killed by a redirected missile fired by her husband, Cormoran, and that's the name that was given to the giant in the uh, original Jack and the Beanstalk story. Oh, interesting. Anyway, Cormelian was apparently Mandy's sister, um, and she wants some dang old revenge. And this is all tied into. Yeah, and this is all tied into established human history with that classic, uh, or with your standard, uh, and there were giants on the earth in those days, Bible stuff. Got it. Mandy says the war for Cornwall isn't over and the greatest battle is about to begin. That night, we see a bunch of Shining Ones meeting. They're the Free Mariners, which, of course, is like the Freemasons, but you can't sue us because they're slightly different, I guess. It's never Um, good when you adorn your place with giant red tapestries with a circular emblem black and white on it it's just like oh come on they're laying it on you don't like my you don't like my semi-nazi flags fox they're nice (laughs) look at that look at that material that's real velour fox no i don't don't have nazi flags move on (laughs) no yeah it's not good absolutely i just feel like you know go with the ocean theme not red Nah, you got. Listen, this is just some. This is just some classic Pat Mills. <laughs> yes, I, I do. I, 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 I am a fan of Adolf Hitler type things going on here. You got a signal. <laughs> I mean, that was John Wagner, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, the Free Mariners. They got secret meetings where they do things in big magic circles, and they wear. Big lizard feet flippers yeah, on their feet and they fake all wear tails. Necklaces. They shake hands under their legs while saying, hello, sailor. Well, hello, and, sailor. And their leader, Lord Michael Courtney, the dreadful Leviathan, is the most powerful man in England. Man, his he's got some eyebrows, that guy. And always right. looking cranky. Yeah, it's time to do some stuff. So mote it be. They lie on their backs and slap their flippers together to mourn the death of the oh my God. shiny ones. Finn just slew. Just, it's just taint in your face. <laughs> yeah. They swear revenge on Finn. They list several crimes he's done. To take him out, Courtney summons Nasiren, who is neither one nor many, to take Finn into the cold and endless void of his tentacular embrace. Oh, my God. Suffer nothing which to live. Yeah, tentacular. <laughs> it's just, that's a... Tentacular? I don't know. I, you know, it's not for mortal men to know. Tentacle-based, that's what I'm trying to say. Gross. Yeah. 
Anyway, a Rutger Howard type named Andres Kruger arrives at Courtney's Manor, which is full of sweet dragons. You know he's a Rutger Howard. What I mean when I say oh, he's yeah. a Rutger no, Howard he's, type. He's box. a Rutger Howard. Howard, yeah. But so anyway, um, the manor's full of dragons and stuff. And he's shown in as Finn describes historical men that have made packs with newts and then dressed like them. This is to explain why Courtney is then swimming in a big aquarium wearing a fish costume. It's weird. Yeah, it's Um, real weird. But first things first, got (laughs) to shake hands. Hello, sailor. Courtney gives Kruger a file on the movements of all the shining ones in the West Country of England as it'll help him catch Finn in the act. Courtney also gives Kruger some extra Finn facts, like that he steals shadows from graveyards to let him sneak in places, and uses spider silk for rope, which he's used to kill a car manufacturer that's been withholding pollution-free engine technology, man. We're going to make the cars, but they're fueled by water, man. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Steam engines? We... Something. We see Finn doing a, a false surrender to some kind of agent and then throwing a boot dart and killing him. And just so you know, Fox, despite the fact that they do it all the time on children's television shows, false surrender is a war crime. Just FYI. Ooh. Anyway, Kruger says he kills people who surrenders, which is also a war crime. So good times. <laughs> you got it on both sides. Oh, man. <laughs> anyway. The plan is to kill enough shiny ones that the newt will be drawn out. So Finn's next target is Mr. Orlin, chairman of an arms dealer. Oh, man. And what a great guy he is, man. Let's just show you all of the horrible ways in which we're going to violently put down an insurrection. Seriously. Inside an Orlin Industries base, a dictator type, Senor Bricochet, is shown a demonstration of weapons used on some anti-war protesters that breached their facility. I'm not sure if this is the crossover with Third World War or not. I, I could buy it if it was. I just haven't read that one very extensively. Um, but anyway, um, there's some there's some high-tech handcuffs, weighted gloves, various non-lethal quote-unquote riot ammunition. Yeah, no, he definitely kills that guy. Yeah, an urban assault tank that looks like an ambulance and emits low levels of radiation around it. Um, it's that also one got is my personal favorite. Yeah, radiation. Um, it's also got a fire hose that shoots water mixed with CR gas, which is real stuff, which is sort of a tear gas that reacts to to moisture. So spraying it. Someone with it with water would make it go into overdrive, basically, and burn you up and stuff. Really not great. Mm -hmm. Then a bunch of uh, riot troopers come out wielding shock batons and electric electric shields while firing hypno darts full of fear toxin. Oh, God. They just take out a whole bunch of terrified, unarmed, multicultural people. Very um, disturbing to Conrad um, with current events going on in, um, you know, mid-April 2021. Um, Oh, boy. And Bricochet is well pleased by all this horror. I'm glad I decided to buy English. Gentlemen to evil. Finn starts his infiltration (laughs) of this hell factory using shadows harvested from the local area. Takes that and then takes out. He, he he like sort of neck snaps one guard and then takes out another one with a fifth bath, which seems like a druid version of what you'd call a voodoo doll. 
Yeah, just pulls the neck right off, and the guy's head doesn't come off, but he does start choking to death. Good times. Next time, Fox, inside Orlin. Oh, are we? Oh, so we're going inside of him. Got to shrink or at down. Least in, at least inside his base, but I'm not, you know, there's magic involved, so there could be any kind of, uh, what you call it, Fantastic Voyage stuff going on. I would, gotta, I would rule it out. Got to Ant-Man him. You got to shrink down, jump inside of his button, and grow to, like, enormous size. Oh, no. <laughs> that's that's how you kill a Thanos. I guess it would. Um, gross. <laughs> oh. But what if he's like, uh, I don't want to get into uh, <laughs> counterpoints to this gross um, plan. I do want to say that um, I really like uh, Finn's got that one kind of submachine gun that's uh, like the got bump. the stock coming out the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in a, in a golden eye and stuff. And I yeah. think that's a cool gun. Um, hey, speaking of cool guns, Fox, <laughs> or speaking of strategically destroy, uh, deployed fear toxin, Fox. Oh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> gotta, let's, gotta, gotta smash these bottles. Yeah, let's talk Thrill 5 Durham Red. Man, I love how it's just like, ah, yeah, she survived because the fish weren't there. <laughs> it's fine. Script robot <laughs> Al Grant, art robot Carlos Escara, letting robot Mary Green. Last time, we saw mutant bounty hunter Durham Red destroy a big brass sun and drive into the razorfish-infested water below. Some monks that she's been fighting against pepper the water with bullets, but most of them just return to the insanity island to deal with the crazies there. Yeah, the um, fish will deal with her, right? So Yeah, no everybody assumes that the razorfish in there must have killed Red, but, she, but she's alive! Because the razorfish were too busy eating all those other monks she killed, you know. Yeah, man. She's gotta, gotta get to the frenzy while the feeding's good. Yeah, there was a cool down on that feeding frenzy. So she was able to sort of <laughs> avoid the telltale for it, you know. Playing a lot of Final Fantasy XIV these days, Fox. Sorry. It's beautiful. Uh, <laughs> so, with Red presumed dead... She's now free to plan and scheme while everyone else is sort of blissfully unaware. At the techno-gothic tower of the goth lord, a party is breaking out. With Red Dead, everyone, is, everyone you know, pretty happy. They toast to evil and sample some psycho. <laughs> but the goth lord sees a vision. An angel flying in a sky of blood. Man, he's totally wasted. <laughs> Meanwhile, Red is climbing up the side of the tower taken the hard way this time instead of through the front door like yeah, last very time. very solid snake this time. You gotta find the instead of going through the front entrance, guns blazing, you gotta find the pathway that you know, it's a sneaky way into the into the level. Climb the tower while I Need a Hero plays in the background that kind oh, of stuff. Oh yeah. That's actually I think like Saints Row 4 or something, but still. Um, a lot of video games. Um, <laughs> but so she, as she makes her way up, she takes she starts taking out guards she kills one while they're taking a swig from a junk of a jug of psycho and then throws it through the window of the main tower chamber and shoots it, which sends a massive psycho cloud all over the place, freaking everybody out. Man, they freaked out. <laughs> oh god, get away from me. There's devils. Red wades in, blasting fools, guns akimbo, and finally draws on the goth lord himself, who's looking all weird because he's in the midst of a terrible drug trip. <laughs> Man, he's not having a good time seeing a blood angel. Just pet the furry wall and you'll get through this, friend. You got yep. this. <laughs> 
The castle's in flames as the goth lord cowers at Red's feet, calling her a god-sent vampire angel. Oh, God. DeviantArt all over again. Yeah, I've seen that anime. Red calls the goth lord out for killing her sister, but she won't kill him. Instead, she'll do something much worse, and we'll and we see her fanged mouth laughing. <laughs> the monks are recovering the heater's son, worried about who's going to tell the abbot when a boat approaches. It's Red with the goth lord. Ah, uh, damn! Better throw all these guns in the water. Yeah, she makes the monks drop their guns into the water and gathers up all the people on the island. She then leaves the goth lord alone in that cave and uses and uh, collapses the entrance behind her, leaving the goth lord stuck there forever. Yeah, For, eat you know, it. long enough, I assume. <laughs> um, she boats off, saying we're all addicted to something, and blood's about as bad as addiction can get. But greed is worse. Hell yeah. The people from the island escape onto the mainland, and that doctor guy talks to Red about what they'll do to kind of take care of them and stuff. Big Les gives Red his favorite potato for saving him. And all seems well, though anyone can see that it's actually an orange. Oh, God. Just a quack it's to a the rock. end. Huh? The end. <laughs> <laughs> Don't break the illusion, man. I guess. But so, the end of this Durham Red story, it's actually going to be a little while till we see Red again. Oh. Um, she'll show up in specials and stuff, but I think the next time she'll show up in the Prague will be in 1994 as well. Jeez. But, uh, you know, I feel like between this and um, the Middenface McNulty story currently running in the magazine, we've got some of these solo sto- like. We've got some solo stories to sort of tie off a uh, post Johnny Alpha Strontium dogs, mm. d- uh, dog things. And then we've just sort of got these characters in layaway for when we need them at some point in the future. You know, until then, we need to hit the, the whopper button, huh? I guess, yeah. Until then, our mutant bounty hunting tales will mostly be feral focused. Hooray. Okay. It's fine, I guess. Yep. Um, and speaking of things that are weird, uh, that that are on a scale of fine to weird, Fox. <laughs> let's talk about Thrill Six Tales from Beyond Science. Ah, really like the art in this. I'll say that much. Yeah, new thrill. Yeah, spooky anthology story, and the the connecting tissue of this mostly is that the art is by Ryan Hughes. Um, he previously did art on the Dan Dare revival in the comic Revolver. Um, these days he's gotten away from doing art, but he's a graphic designer and a font creator, which I think is pretty cool. Whoa, like, that's neat. He like creates a bunch of fonts that you can, you know, check out and, you know, use for typing purposes, I guess. Anyway, Mark Miller starts out writing and we learn there's no such thing as fiction. Every story in every book, every film, every lip is true. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And so we start with the story of Colonel Winks, a man who has discovered the darkest secrets of reality. Um, he's been running for months, staying awake, uh, taking pills to stay awake so the men in red don't find him. 
He moves from hotel to hotel, breaking clocks and mirrors in every room, nailing down the toilet seat, making his room a fortress, watching TV with a mask over his eyes because he knows what hides between the flickering lights of television. Okay. The men in red can travel through mirrors, clocks, water, painting, sugar, and your very dreams. Uh, Winks, we learn, had been investigating the death of entertainer Tommy Trinder, uh, which was part of something called Project Turquoise, and now he knows the secret of the American dream. We see back in the Pentagon where his job was part of an effort to make humans more cut off and um, isolated from each other. Hmm. Mm. And in his case, he was perfecting a uh, the shell suit or a track suit, as we call them here in the U.S. But then he somehow fell upon the overall picture of things. He tried to escape with this information, but now he's in a hotel. Um, and that brings us to the present, where he's in a hotel that had a secret mirror hidden inside an armoire. And the men in red come out of it. Ah, jeez, they couldn't do it until he opened it. They couldn't have gotten into the closet, I guess. I will say, Fox, that when I was reading this, uh, preparing my recap late at night, and that you saw the image of the door opening and the man in red in the mirror, I did get a little spooked. All right? Like, that's... Yeah, no, that's a, I, I don't want to see any of that. little spooky, but, you know, it's okay, I guess. Um. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> man, I get spooked at night on all sorts of stuff, watching scary movies. Yeah. So the man in red is a humanoid red pencil, I guess, with sunglasses okay. and epaulets. They toss him into a bathtub and shoot him in the face, and so ends his story. But our host, Hillary Tremaine, <laughs> has more tales from beyond science to tell us. I love his little alligator with the necktie. He's got a lot of, like, you know, they sort of have fun putting him in really weird, wacky, random situations as he tells the story and stuff. I had hoped that this was going to be a lot of, like, weird uh, fake conspiracy theories and things. Yeah, it ain't. But it's mostly just a future shock, it seems like, which is a bummer. Future shock with a better coat of paint, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, yeah, or, or a consistent one. All these ones will have will have um, art by uh, Ryan Hughes, so that is kind of a connective tissue, I guess. Alan McKenzie's writing this next one. Music has been shown to grow plants and heal the sick. But Rudy <laughs> Beethoven's saxophone playing just made everyone sick. Okay. So he got a guitar and started playing, and whatever he sang came true. He sang, you can call me Al, and that became his name. He sang, give me some money, and got some cash. He sang money for nothing from, you know, Dire Straits and got an MTV. Um, at, the, at the meeting with the music channel, he's saying, go west and let's work together, and thus signs a deal as one of the execs moves to Los Angeles. He sings more songs. They all have a literal effect. You see what's going on here. Yep. Becomes famous despite doing only covers and then sings Got Me Burden at Shea Stadium and explodes. Hooray. Once you realize this is happening, start curating your song list. <laughs> I mean, he seemed to know, so I'd really just be careful about all the music that I'd sing. Unless he it just was... Like yeah, is this a suicidal? Is this a suicide attempt? Or oh like, my what's God. going on? That's like his ultimate dream was to explode in front of people. I'm gonna explode. Harkening back to that one dread story. Oh geez. <laughs> but uh, hey, Fox. Oh yeah. On oh, the I know topic what time it is. of things that are weird and things that got a lot of words. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to. 
Thrill 7, The Clown. Oh, man. Creeptastic. <laughs> Script robot Igor Goldkind, art robot Robert Bliss, letting robot Annie Parkhouse. Hey, it's a story by long-term PR manager uh, Robert e- Igor Goldkind. Good times. <laughs> Um, you've seen a little bit of work by Robert Bliss over in the magazine. He's done some magic cards as well in the time. And he's just real good at drawing dudes that are so buff that it kind of messes with their physicality, basically. <laughs> like muscles on muscles in kind of a bad way is what I'm trying to yeah. say. Fox, what's your opinion on clowns? I must know. Uh, negative on clowns. Do not like clowns. Um I am sure that there are, you know, I don't know if there are clown people in our audience. I'm not trying to clown shame you. I find them to be neither hilarious nor entertaining and absolutely frightening um, just from the makeup alone. Uh, I used to when I was visiting my grandmother. um, It's long since been taken down, but she had in this room where like I would sleep a clown suspended from the ceiling Jesus uh, from from like a little rope or like a little, you know, piece of twine or whatever. And, mm-hmm. you know, it connected to its umbrella and it was holding like a bowling ball pin. But, you know, when the lights are out and light and light from the window is shining on that thing and it's just slowly turning around constantly, your head is going under those covers. I don't care who you are. Yeah, you know, my my grandma had a very similar um like life-sized little girl doll that would just sit in a chair in her basement and I didn't like to look at that thing at all. Who thinks that especially in a basement it's just like, you know, tiny person in a chair and you like go down there at night you're all kind of groggy and you're like, oh fuck. Grandmas be tripping, buddy. That's all I can say. No, they're they're all about that grandma life. Let's scare these children early. I'm, I'm mostly neutral on Clowns Fox. I'm basically okay with them, I think. You know? Like, I wouldn't say I'm down to clown with the insane clown posse or whatever, but I also don't viscerally dislike them. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, like, I, I wouldn't want them to die or anything. I just don't want them around me. Yeah. I feel like there's a point where, God, it must not. Act, I feel like for me, it was actually like in this one episode of like Animaniacs when I was a kid or something where clowns made a full transition from being something that is fun that kids should like to being something that is <laughs> scary that kids should hate you know <laughs> yep and Ugh. these days in po- in popular culture especially the idea like it seems weird to think of a clown as being anything other than like weird and sinister basically. well after john wayne gacy i'm pretty sure that that just pretty much defeated clowns forever that's fair as well, I think. But yeah, anyway. Goddamn, the clown. Fox, it's said that history repeats itself first as tragedy, then as farce. And all the worlds are staged. All the worlds are staged and we are merely tales told by idiots, etc. Okay. In a circus, a clown juggles as his horse Toby answers math questions. <laughs> and all is well as various acts play out around them under the big top. You know, it's a good time as the clown compliments Toby on getting better at their act. And um, even if this week has been a bit slow, soon they'll have enough for Toby to get a new silver saddle and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, nice. They seem to be good chums. Yeah, the clown prepares to go to the clown bar. And as he leaves, three men with bald heads except for pointies, four locks, skulk outside of his house. The 
Clown drinks at the bar as the other clowns spread rumors about him. He never takes his pain off. He's insane. Clowning is his whole life. I, I like, by the way, the name of the beer that they get is called Clown Beer. <laughs> Gotta stay on brand, you know? Yeah. Back at the clown's house, Toby is trying to fight off the weirdos. They're wearing ties and suspenders, I should mention. Um, but instead gets stabbed by a giant knife instead. Yeah. These... These three jerks take the clown's money and run, and the clown returns home to find Toby, his only friend, has been violently murdered. And And his head impaled on a stick. Like, Jesus. Yeah, no, they hobby-horsed him. It's not cool. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's Uh, like... I'm not sure about this story. Yeah, no, it went from, like, zany to graphically violent very fast. And that's pretty much its mode, I guess. Oh. Um, ugh, there's so many words in this fight. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, you know how I feel about it. I know. Yeah, you've made your opinions known. I feel like I've been more pro-word, but this is just a lot. <laughs> it's like it's like ten uh, word boxes all on one fucking thing. Yeah, especially the opening page of each entry of The Clown has, has so much. The Clown reflects the loss of a friend as a reminder that we, will, that we are all born alone and will die in alone. Jesus. And sometimes when confronted with this reality, the only answer is madness. And indeed, that is the path The Clown is taking. He is choosing violence. In the Okey pouring doke. rain, the clown buries his friend Toby, not understanding what this new joke life has thrown at him is. In the end, he's tired of jokes. He ain't fooling around anymore, which he says a lot, like too okay. much. Elsewhere at Joe's diner, a dude in a shirt flies off the handle because they're out of blueberry cheesecake. Yeah, he's he beats- a... <laughs> It's a cop or a detective, and he's just a huge asshole. Yeah, beats up a waiter to ensure it will be in stock tomorrow. At the monorail station, the clown arrives in the big city and heads to Elmer Wabbit's Big Knife and Gun Store, where the clown arrives with a big knife, one of Elmer's own, the knife that killed Toby. He stabs Elmer with it and demands that he give up his customer. Says he sold it to a man named Elmer, or did he say, oh, God, hold on. I t- t- took my notes wrong, Fox. I'm real pissed. Uh, Huey Faust. Yeah, he sold it to a man named Huey Faust. Fox, I'm not going to lie to you. This is going to lead to a Huey Dewey Louie kind oh, of situation okay. thing. Okay, well, at least we're all being clever here, huh? Mm. Later, the man from the diner comes to Elmer's, which has been smashed up and ransacked. He says he's Detective Brummer. And he's going to get the clown that did this. Okay. I get it. You get it? I got it. Next time, funny peculiar. (laughs) And Conrad, doesn't sound like you're too down to clown. (laughs) No, like I said at the start, not really down to clown, Fox. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, man. There's just... There's so much of this clown, like, like, not like in terms of length, but in terms of what's on the page. There's so much of it, Fox. Yeah, I know. And it's it's getting in the way of itself a little bit here. Yeah, it is a hearty meal that I do not really want to want to eat that much. You know, it's it's a hard it's a tough situation. (laughs) That said, Fox, I must know what are your top and bottom thrills as we get as we make our way through 1992? 
Oh man. Um, so for top, I very, I, I liked Finn a lot. Uh, I felt like it was the right amount of mysticism, silliness, and violence. Mm. That makes sense, right? Like, Mm-hmm. Just, just old man taint as they slap together flippers in the same comic book in which a man lassos two beings feet together and they just explode uh, disgustingly. And you also get like a it it is it is world building very well. The characters are ridiculous. It is it is a very fun, if not gothic, hor- like horror slide comedy. I don't know. It's it's great. Um and I, I am excited to see where it goes next. I, you know, is it the the best thing I've ever read? No, but I, I do feel like it did a lot of the heavy lifting for me in this run. Um, whereas, uh, I mean, and this is going to be somewhat divisive. My bottom is skiz, man. Oh, no. I was pretty disappointed. Um, I think just. I hear you, though. I think just like how things wrapped up, how like, I don't know. They just. There's so many things that were that were referenced at the beginning, and I was very excited about it because you're right. Like they do like we were pretty stoked to see where things were going. But I also expected it to be like 27 more issues, you know? Um, Yeah, it's just kind of a bummer um, because I because I love Skiz so much. And I, I think we're feeling the lack of Alan Moore here, right? Yeah, or at the very least, like, I mean, I think I've said that. Part of what I was looking forward to with Skiz was just a chance to kind of hang out yeah. with my friends from the previous story, you know? And this, like, both because while Skiz is okay, I would not say that Skiz is my favorite character from Skiz, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I I mean, I do find that to be fair because it's it's the core three that you really care about, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm mostly just e- e- even getting rid of laws. I'd be happy for just uh, Roxy and Cornelius hanging out, you know, <laughs> the Roxy and Cornelius show. Like, yeah, just... I want I want Roxy to be sad and I want Cornelius to make her feel happy. You know, that kind yeah, of stuff. exactly. I mean, it was just so cute when they like hugged and stuff like that. It still has yeah. some of that charm. But Jesus, man, like, let me but, like, have more of that time instead of just like ah, and also it's over. Yeah. And like, I thought. The way they handled the alien stuff in the first skiz, which is very hands-off, very mysterious, mm-hmm. just a lot of verbiage and not a lot of exposition or explanations of things. I thought that was really, I thought that was fine. Just, yeah, he's an alien. That's all you need to know, you know? Yeah, and exactly. having, having all this stuff that's really in-depth about skiz's society and people and things... It's not why I'm coming to the story, I guess. You know, it's like, I mean, like like with E.T., you know, like I just don't, I don't need to know about like what E.T. society is like, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, just go on the E.T. ride in Universal sometime. It's way too much. You're like, okay, I get yeah. it. He's an alien. <laughs> I want to be the one who's flying the fucking bicycle, you know? Yeah. And so it's just like, yeah, the I just wanted to... I want to hang out with the characters that I liked, and they both expanded Skiz's stuff, which I wasn't super interested in, and did a fair amount of stuff with this Bazzer guy who's just some bloke. Like, yeah, he's just some dude. Here. Like, I don't need this. I don't need this cousin Oliver showing up in my in my thing <laughs> here, you know. Sorry, so what so and so you've got a fin for your top, or did you yeah, say Yeah, absolutely. Nice. 
So how about you, Conrad? What are your top and bottom thrills for this uh, this year episode? What the people are listening to? I mean, I might join you with Skiz as my bottom just because I am also disappointed with the end of it and just sort of mm-hmm. how they handled these characters and stuff. Um, Sk- you know, Skiz is a, is a story that was that I held pretty dear as well. Um, and just to kind of have it be brought back for this feels not that cool, I guess. No. I mean, Bakey does have Alan Moore's like sign off to do it and stuff for the record in case anybody was worried okay. about that. But, well. but, um, this is just not the, I wish there had been more, you know, just a chance to really have a, have a plot with some back and forth and stuff like that. Yeah. As it's it not is, to be so short lived, man. Like, yeah, uh, there's, we're just finishing this up with a lot of loose threads and things that don't quite make sense. So I guess, so I'm happy to put that in my bottom more as a missed potential, I guess, as opposed to yeah, exactly. actually not being great. Um, for my top, this is a tough month for me. I got to say, yeah. Like, I wasn't a huge fan of Dread this month. Like, I don't like this this attempt at coolness, Fox. <laughs> and literally calling it cool. Yeah. Like, that's... Tr- I don't like this try-hard stuff, you know? <laughs> um, Durham Red was kind of short, I guess. Like, it was just sort yeah. of, again, two-piece and just sort of in and out, I guess. Um, not giving it to the clown, I imagine. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not into this clown story. I'm, you know, I'm not into t- like tales from beyond science. You have to really wow me, and a little bit of uh, of uh, triggering my my scaredy cat um, sensibility. It is not enough for that. Um, <laughs> Brigand Doom. No, that 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 one's on notice, Fox. <laughs> You're starting to. I I see. I'm I'm witnessing currently the thought process that I had when you asked me the same question. <laughs> so I guess I will I will triangulate. To saying Finn is my top here, <laughs> exactly. so all of solidarity. But let me let me say this to Finn. <laughs> I'm I'm dropping a lot of ultimatums this episode. Okay. Yeah. Hey, do it, man. Put him on notice. Uh, and it's and it's I'm not a huge fan of this exposition based storytelling that we're using with Finn. All right. <laughs> I I don't like. I'm not a huge fan of the fact that every episode is Finn telling me about something and then sort of actualizing that uh, exposition, okay? (laughs) As opposed to just doing (laughs) As opposed to just doing something, all right? (laughs) I understand that it's a new setup and you got to explain how everything works, all right? It's cool. I'm ready. There's a whole thing. This is a non-standard fantasy setting. So, like, you know... I'm definitely, you know, I, I'm a fan of exposition. I, I'm, I'm, I'm usually ready for it. But at some point, the exposition must fall away. And the, and the story, and you know, we got to get to a point where it's now. Things are happening now, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, it's it's great that you saw it, or that we go back in time to see seven foot tall Nippolina or whatever. Talk about or get shot in the head, I guess. And that's important. But it's, you know. I, I'm even, even I'm no, no, somewhat no, no. I'm somewhat worried we're going to get into Pluke territory if we keep doing I mean, this. We are getting towards the this do, does have the more esoteric side of the Pat Mills stuff, but I'm talking more about. Um, did you ever see that show Burn Notice, Fox? I have not actually, but my wife loves it. It's 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 a good show. It's got Bruce Campbell in it. Um, but one thing. The 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 framing device of that show is the main guy 
He's basically every episode he, he's like narrating like a book on how to be a spy. So he's like, when you're a spy, you've got to do X, Y, Z, or like this is the best place to do this, or just sort of as he as whenever he does anything, he's also narrating it as a lesson of like sort of how you do spy stuff or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's very much what Finn feels like to me. And <laughs> let me tell like you Bert- meticulously what I'm doing. Yeah, and I've had fun with Burn Notice, and I've, I'm, ha- I, I, I'm, I'm pretty much having fun with Finn, but I don't. I, I'd really rather this not be here for the entire run of, of the comic. <laughs> Just like make way, start doing the occult shit that I love, and uh, you know, a little less talking. Yeah, little less conversation, little more action, please. In the words of Elvis Fox, <laughs> beautiful. All right. As opposed to me, who is all conversation, no action. I want to read about people that are different than me, Fox. I don't need <laughs> yeah, exactly. to see see a bunch of Conrads explaining things for a whole comic, all right? That's my job to explain it. Otherwise, I'm just taking dictation. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, my God. You're just a court reporter. Yeah. Like, you know, I like to think that I add something as opposed to just sort of transcribing oh, no. existing you're, narration I mean, boxes. You're a beautiful, like, listen, man. Just the whole, it's a this, uh, it's it's die hard, but in a blank, you know? I'm Love just that. saying, comics from 25 years ago, give me some respect. <laughs> know God that I right. exist in the future. God damn uh, anyway, right. Um, I hope everybody enjoyed the show, despite my complaints. If, uh, if as always, you can find Space Bitter 2000 on iTunes, Stitch, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site, spacebitter2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacebitter2000 at gmail.com, the 2080 forums. Or our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages on Twitter. We're at Space Spinner 2K. For everything else, go to Space Spinner 2000, and we should be there. And hey, feel free to rate and review the show wherever you're listening to it. It helps folks find it, and you know, whatever. Let's have a good time. This show is brought to you by Steve Green, Robert Hardingham, and Zane Kipmiller, and your friends at the 2080 Forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Cradaline. That's our podcast network. There you can support the show and receive a ton of excellent rewards, including advanced episodes, coverage of modern 2000 AD in the magazine, and even monthly Q&As with Fox and myself. Hey! 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 Then come back next time as Dread goes against some babes. We'll reach the climaxes of Finn and the Clown and embarked on a new Harlem Heroes adventure and even learn some oh. more tales beyond science. Harlem Heroes. We're right on the verge of a big uh, reboot, prog, um, Fox. So next episode, we're going to be clearing the decks. Okay, so that won't stick around. Good. Oh, no, no. It's it's actually a weird flashback um, story. We'll see. Okay. Um, but until then, I'm Conrad East Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendid. Splendid.